This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. I'm your host, Jeff Woods. And I'm your co-host, Kaylin Less. The purpose of this episode is to have a conversation about what the future of your work could look like. With everything that's going on, uh, we have an opportunity to pause, to ask different questions, and to reevaluate what our vision for the future looks like. We know there are so many companies that were saying, there is no way we could ever work remote. We have to be in person until they had to make virtual work. From many of the corporate partners that we've talked to, we know that people's opinions of what the future of work looks like has changed. And in this episode, we're going to walk you through the questions that we've been asking, the research we've been doing, how our vision has changed, how the principles of the one thing line up with it, all in service of you going on your own journey to ask what the future of your work will look like. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch, snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Jeff, when you realized that we would have to be shifting and working remotely and making a lot of changes with how we did our jobs every day and how we communicated as a team, how did that make you feel? Initial reaction was excited. You know, there was something, and this is gratitude for being in business with Gary and Jay. They framed it in a way that said, look, in every shift, there's a gift. And this is a chance for us to really look at our vision that we've set and ask the question, is it still the same? And you know, it's a quote from Keith Cunningham, what stops us from reinventing ourselves is an attachment to the way things used to be. And I remember my very first week on the job walking into Jay's office and seeing on his whiteboard, he'd written in Sharpie so it could never be removed. What's the business that will put us out of business? And how do I build it first? We've gotten this from Gary. He's always challenged us to think in a disruptive way, not being married to what the past was, but being willing to adapt and pivot to where the market is going. And so when all this happened, there was something inside me that said, there's something great that can come out of this, even though uh, nobody wishes that a global pandemic would have to happen for that to happen. But I, I was initially met with a little bit of excitement. I wonder how special you are in that sense. I, because from the people that I've talked to, the teams, both as team members and as leaders, there was anxiety around the unknown. And there was a lot of, as we jumped into things, we were thrust into an environment that we weren't sure whether it would support our goals and we weren't sure how to adjust. We just knew we had to. Mm. And like you said, in every shift, there's a gift. And sometimes those quick shifts 
can reveal possibilities that we could, couldn't have otherwise imagined. But I wonder, what have you heard from your corporate clients and from the teams you're working with in terms of how they've made that adjustment or how they've been thinking about it? I think we have to narrow down to the things that matter to them. And you know, when we talk to any leader in an organization, this is pre-pandemic or post-pandemic, there were certain challenges that we consistently saw. And one was a lack of prioritization. You know, people felt like there were so many things that they needed to do. There were not enough time. Some companies would say, you know, we've got a very reactionary culture. And really what was missing was clarity. Clarity on what is the one thing for the organization? What are the priorities for the company? What do we do when priorities change? And that trickles all the way down to what's the one thing for the team? What's the priorities for the team? What do we do when priorities change? What do I do if, Kaylin, you have a one thing and I have a one thing and we need each other to succeed, but we don't have the same one things? We call that interdependencies. These are very common challenges and that companies were facing prior to COVID. But you fast forward to today and we're consistently hearing from our corporate partners, you know, lack of prioritization, lack of trust, and accountability. These are things that they really want to have. They want to be clear on what matters. They want to trust that if people are virtual, that they're actually doing the things that matter most. And how do you make accountability work if you can't physically be in the same space? That's a great question. And I... Having been in this organization working with the one thing, what's interesting is that the tools and the principles of the one thing really do facilitate that trust in that environment where you can identify your priorities, act on your priorities, and not feel like you're deferring teamwork for the things you need to do, but you can actually work together to help each other get your one thing done. So how have you answered those questions for both us as we've made this transition and the, the corporate clients you're working with? I think let's let's start by I, I can speak to our journey and our hope in sharing all this with you is is to spark ideas and questions so that you can figure out what the right path is for you as you move forward. This is not a prescription. This is not a one size fits all. We're going to talk about what we are doing and what we are seeing our partners doing. For me, I even remember early in the business when we were making decisions on how we wanted to serve people. We had a lot of there there were a lot of ways we could serve people, but what was the one way we should serve them first? And we chose to serve the individual versus the organization because the organization is comprised of individuals. And we chose to serve them virtually versus physically. I remember Jay very clearly saying, we would be better off if we were a virtual company that had in-person events rather than an in-person event company that did virtual training. Boy, how fortuitous that was. And when I look at the future of work, it's, you know, we all felt this on the team. All of a sudden, now that we were at home, we had a stronger bunker. It's not like, Kaylin, I could come out of my office, run over to your cubicle and say, Hey, do you got a minute? (laughs) Us, Us connecting takes a little bit more coordination. I have to call you. I have to text you or I have to slack you. And you may not respond. And there's nothing I can do about that. And I, I mean, how did it feel for you when all of a sudden we were virtually? Did you feel like you got more productive or less productive? I think there are so many variables at play with this transition. But what was interesting is that because we were forced into an environment where we had to adjust quickly, I think that certain relationships actually accelerated in terms of how much better we got at communicating because we were working so hard to work together. Mm -hmm. And we did have this new obstacle that was 
uh, proximity. And so I think about like even my relationship with Jenny, who Jenny works with our customers and with our events, and she has so many different pieces in our business. And she's always been in Chicago. And while we worked really well together before, and the last time I saw her was in January when she came out to Austin, but this really expedited the way that we work as a team and we've become even a stronger machine. And I would say that that really surprised me. And I do know that like solidarity can happen when you're facing a challenge together. So I think that was a result of that. And maybe it was a happy accident, but I also think it was coming with the intention that we all had one thing to do and we needed each other in order to accomplish it. I think it's widely known that one of the biggest distractions in a physical work environment is other people. People around you swinging by asking if you've got a minute or noise or side conversations. And from the, my personal experience, I, I started to realize the amount of time I was spending every day driving to and from the office that now I'm either investing in my family or I'm investing in my priorities. And we're hearing this from the corporate partners, like that eliminating the need to commute into the office every day is freeing up time for them, personally or professionally. People feel like they're actually more in control of their time now than they were before, just because somebody can't swing in and ask if you've got a minute. There are certainly things that that can undermine that, which we'll talk about. But I feel like net-net, the majority of people feel like they're more in control of their time if we are virtually based, physically enhanced, rather than being physically based, virtually enhanced. Well, the research actually supports that. I mean, and this research was before COVID. So I think that um, it's maybe a a cleaner data set. But it said that really office workers are 44% less productive than those that work from home. And that can be a bunch of contributing factors from, like you said, the got a minutes to perhaps their workspace isn't as comfortable or they can't really control like how they work. And the, we always talk about how your environment must support your goals. But when you're in an office that maybe doesn't do that for you, you have to accommodate and your productivity and your efficiency will go down. Mm-hmm. So when you do work from home, most people tend to achieve more. Because they can control that space and they have control over the people that can interrupt them and the things that might show up uh, to disrupt their flow. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, for me, when I sat down with our partners, I said, I, I made the argument. I, I personally believe that the best thing for our business and what I'm just seeing in terms of a trend is companies moving forward are asking the question, should we be virtually based, physically enhanced? For us, that move is yes. And as a company that trains individuals, teams, and organizations how to be productive, I believe it behooves us to be virtually based, physically enhanced, so we can lead that charge. We've made that decision. It's what we are doing. It's the right decision for us. I'm also, you know, there is um, one of our corporate partners is a Fortune 50 company. I was having a conversation with them yesterday, and they were talking about how in the past, they had a ratio in terms of the number of people that were expected to be in the office versus could be remote and how they've completely flipped it on its head. It used to be a four to one ratio, four people in person to one remote. They're now flipping that to one to nine because COVID really, they, they told themselves the story that virtual wouldn't work until COVID made them have to make it work. And because they were willing to let go of the way things used to be and willing to imagine how might we be able to make this work, they're actually finding out that, you know what, um, we will always have the need 
for in-person experiences, but it doesn't have to be the foundation. We can actually recruit better talent if we don't have to rely on them being in a specific city. And we can actually be more productive if people are virtually based and then strategically we can come together as needed. Talk a little bit more about that, Jeff, because I want to sink my teeth into the idea that virtually based, physically enhanced, that sounds really nice. And it seems like there's a lot of decisions that go into how you balance that. And I guess I want to back up also by saying like, I think historically people have thought about it very all or nothing, like 100% in-person or 100% virtual. And there wasn't anything in between to explore. But when you say virtual, virtual with physically enhanced, like talk more about that. What do you mean by that? Well, I can just walk you through the conversations I had with Jay as we explored this. I pitched the idea and I said, I believe this is where organizations are going. Just this is anecdotally what we are hearing from our partners. This is where the companies that we are in business with are going. And as a company that trains those companies how to be productive, we got to be doing it so that we are qualified to consult and advise them on how to be as productive as possible. The questions then came up. How will you communicate? What will be your standards for communication? When people show up to an office, there are work hours and people know it. So what are the expectations in terms of when people are working? What are the rules for how you get a hold of somebody so that if you need to collaborate or you need support, how do you actually do it? How do we ensure that people are clear on what their priorities are if you can't just swing by and check in on them? And what specifically will you do to create a sense of community and culture when you are not physically together? So these are the questions. What are your standards for communication? How will you ensure clarity on priorities? And how will you build community and culture? As people are asking themselves those questions and digging in for the answers, how have we addressed that? Because we've just started this journey and we've started to be more purposeful about it because we know that this will not be successful if it happens by default and we cross our fingers and hope for the best. And when we answer those questions, we have to be crystal clear on what we want each activity to do for our team's communication, for our team's culture, all those things. So let's talk about it, Jeff. What about communication? What have you, what have you come up with? I can speak to what we are doing. I can speak to what we're hearing from other people. And again, this is all in... I'm prefacing by saying, you have to ask what's the right question for you. Based on what you hear out of this episode, what's the one thing you can do? Such that by doing it, everything else would be easier for you and your organization. For us, this is where the, the models of the one thing are just so timeless and have already helped. I mean, Kaylin, what do we do every single Monday without fail? We check in and we have a huddle. And it's a virtual huddle now. It used to be physical for some of us, virtual for others. But we check in and we talk about our priorities and our one thing for the week. Right. The purpose of that meeting is to launch the week by communicating with the team what our one thing is for the week and what the other priorities are that are showing up on our 411. The tool that gives us clarity on our priorities, that puts us on track for our priorities for the month, that puts us on track for the priorities for the year. And the reason for that is interdependencies are real. You know, I might have a priority this week that requires Kaylin or requires Jenny or requires Kara. I need them to understand, hey, this is my one thing. And by the way, I can't accomplish my one thing without you. That's the purpose of that meeting. And as leaders, it's also a chance to find out who on your team is actually clear on what their one thing is. 
I heard this from Jay. If you've got people who are showing up Monday morning and they don't have clarity on what their priorities are, that's not acceptable in a productive culture. You don't want people to show up to figure out what they should be doing. It's already too late because now they're just going to be reactive all day. As a leader, I want to know who on my team is clear on what their priorities are. Because if they're clear on what their priorities are, I'm more likely to believe that their calendar actually reflects their priorities. So that's the purpose of that huddle. What do we do after that huddle without fail? 411s. 411s. And you know, when you and I... So again, for those of you who do not know, the 411 is a tool that gives you as an individual clarity on your priorities for the year, the month, and the week. So you're not just randomly taking actions this week. You can actually draw a line and show how what you're going to do this week lines up with accomplishing the most important things this month, which lines up with accomplishing the most important things for the year, which lines up with the business plan for the team and the organization. It's also a tool that facilitates the conversation between a leader and a direct report. So Kaylin, when it's time for your 411, who's presenting the 411 to who? I walk you through the priorities I've identified and I tell you what is my plan. And if I've got questions or challenges in that, if I'm fuzzy in areas, I say, Jeff, you know, I've got a lot on my plate this week and I'm having trouble prioritizing this. What can I say no to? Or if you say that there's something in your world that's a priority, and I'm looking at my list of things and I say, Whew, okay, Jeff, which is more important here? Because we agreed that this was the priority and I'm trying to figure out how to do both. So there's a very important distinction here that we need to point out. One of the things that leaders are struggling with right now is trust. Trusting that people are actually working and doing the things that matter most. Now, for you as a listener, pay attention. What did Kaylin say? Who presents the priorities to whom? She walks in and tells me her plan. What we see in a lot of companies, and by the way, this is, this is, if this is you, it's not your fault. You just weren't ever trained differently or given a very simple way to flip it. Leaders often go into, into meetings and start telling their people what they need them to do. That over time can lead to micromanagement. It undermines the productivity you seek. But when the expectation is that a direct report comes to the meeting saying, all right, I know what the business plan for the team is for the year. And based on that, here's the priorities that I own for the year. And if I own these priorities this year, here's the handful. I'm talking three to five things that matter most that I accomplished this month to be on track for the year. And if I need to deliver that by the end of the month, here are the specific vital things I must get done this week. If, if one of your people walked in and said and gave you that script, holy smokes, that's talent. So that's the purpose of the 411 is the individual comes in and casts a vision for owning their job. Then the leader gets the opportunity to say, great, how can I support you? The leader can suddenly become a coach to helping the person be as successful as possible. And something magical happens there because um, as a leader, you get freedom. You teach your people how to think independently of you. They start to fully own their job, which frees you up to doing the things that you need to be doing. And by the way, you're grooming the next generation of leaders as a result. So that happens 
I, let's fly up to 10,000 feet. The reason we just dove in there is when we talk about what are the things that we need to do from a communication standpoint, these are things we were already doing. These are the models of the one thing. A weekly 411 where an individual sits down with their leader and declares what their priorities are. And the leader gets to play coach. I want to point out a small detail of how this conversation is positioned as well. Because I think for some people that have never had that conversation or never walked through it in, in real time, they might be confused as to how, to how to get their team ready for a conversation like that. And I would say, like, I don't walk in like a one-thing robot and say, Jeff, these are my priorities. And he says, yes, check, check, check. And it's a transaction. It is not a transaction. This is a conversation where I get to come and I've thought through things, but I also get to ask for support. I get to ask for his thoughts. I get to build the confidence that I'm going in the right direction because some of the decisions I make are hard. We're in new charted territory that I need a leader. I don't need a manager. And that distinction as a leader, when you start to move from managing your team to leading your team in the direction of their goals and the company's goals at the same time, it, I mean, it's where the magic happens. It, where, it's where the relationships start to really grow in a way where more becomes possible and more innovation happens and more risks get taken because they're calculated and they're supported. And you actually start to, to discover things you would have never, never discovered before. I love that. I love that. And if we fly back to where, what are the challenges people are having, it's clarity on the priorities. It's trust that people are owning their job. It's a method for clear communication and accountability. That one meeting ensures clarity on the priorities. It builds trust. It facilitates clear communication and oh, by the way, since this is a weekly conversation, I also have every person's 411 from the last week. And we actually start by talking about what were their priorities last week? How did they do? How do they feel about that? Based on that, what do they need to do differently this week? Accountability automatically happens. And it's not a punitive thing. It's not a scary thing. It's actually... It feels good. Somebody is taking a stand for you and helping dive in. If you missed last week, why? What stops you? How, how can we fix that this week? How do we move forward? And by the way, for us leaders out there, sometimes the answer is we're the problem. We're moving fast and we keep dumping stuff on their plate without clarity on if I ask them to say yes to this, what am I asking them to say no to? Let's give an example of that. So this actually happened this week. So we've got a new person on the team. Her name's Kara. This is the beginning of her fourth week. So by the way, she has no track record of doing a weekly 411 consistently. She steps into our world and it is a standard. We launch the week with a huddle and then a 411. And going into the coming into the fourth week, so this is her fourth attempt at doing a 411 with me. We looked at her priorities from last week. We evaluated how she did. She didn't hit all of them. It happens. And we have evaluated what she needed to do differently this week. Then when we looked at her priorities for this week, she said something really interesting to me. She said, Jeff, you know, at the beginning of the month, I declared that these were the key priorities that I got done. And I made a commitment that I would get those done. In order for me to honor that commitment, here's what I have to say yes to this week. Here's my challenge. And this is where I need your support. You've invited me to shadow you on these eight meetings. If I say yes to attending those eight meetings, here's what I'm going to have to say no to on my 411 this week. In your mind, which is actually more important? 
And I looked at it and said, those eight meetings do not matter. Cancel them. And she took back a meaningful portion of her week simply because there was a time that was set with a clear way to communicate those things where it was safe. And for all you leaders, if one of your direct reports talked to you like that, what are you thinking? It's, it's, it's great. So this is where when we talk about what the future of your work looks like, maybe you're going to say, you know what? Nope, we're always going to need to be in person. And maybe some of you are like us and saying, you know what? We can be virtually based and physically enhanced. We can be virtual most of the time. And at strategic times, we can come together. Or maybe we have hubs where people come together. But the point is, regardless of whether you're in person or whether you're virtual, what is your model for having clarity on the priorities at an organizational team and individual level? How will you ensure clear communication so people know what matters most and how they can support one another? How will that communication and that model build trust? And how does it facilitate accountability so you coach people to higher levels of performance? Jeff, you answered two of the questions almost at the same in the same breath. Where the are as we look at how we communicate and how we build accountability virtually, really these tools, the four one one and our huddles, like those translate very well from an in person work environment to a virtual one. Mm-hmm. But a harder question is culture. Culture is something that is a little more ephemeral and it's not so direct. So how do you imagine that we? not just maintain a culture. Because I think maintaining culture in a team is perhaps easier than actually inviting someone new into an environment where they're starting from scratch and they have no cultural experience. How do we teach that virtually? Mm -hmm. Well, I think you have to recognize that culture is getting built regardless. The question is, is it going to get built by default or built by design? And for us, you know, this is the journey that we are going on. What we've learned from Gary, he defines culture as mission, vision, values, beliefs, and perspective. Mission, where are we going? Vision, what does it look like when we're done? Values, what are the values that we hold dear to ourselves that are core to the brand? Beliefs, what are our rules for engagement? What do we, how do we believe we should treat each other? And perspective, how do we check in and actually ask the question, how are we doing at living those things? And for us, you know, I was emailing with Jay back and forth on this, the, the, the culture of the company should reflect the founders, definitely. And it's also a chance for every single person in the organization owns a piece of the culture. Which is why for us, you know, we as a team are asking the question, what do we believe the mission is? What do we believe the, the vision, the values, the beliefs, the perspectives are? And we're coming together and actually collaborating on it so that we can then refine down and say, this is what we believe. And this is how we will behave. And we will use that as a compass for not only how we treat our customers and the trainings that we create, but the type of people that we bring into the organization. So imagine you are a small business and you don't have the legacy of what Gary and Jay have created. And you don't have a book that, to be fair, I feel like we've been gifted this book as this roadmap for what those values and that mission looks like because we've seen it already in play. And we've seen the impact that it makes. How do you start that from scratch when you don't have such an established brand to guide those, that decision-making? I don't think you need the established brand to guide it. I think it's about taking the time-blocking time to sit down and actually ask the question. Fast forward to the future and imagine our business is insanely successful. Where are we going? What are we doing? What does it look like when we're done? 
What are the core values that allow us to get there? What are the rules of engagement that we need to follow, our beliefs along the way? And what will our rhythm be for checking in and gaining perspective on how we're actually doing and what we need to do along the way? And it's not about getting crystal clear clarity. Can you get a draft down that you can then start to date? Just like your significant other, you go on dates with it. And you, do I like this? Does it feel right? Do I need to make any changes? Oh, this works really well. And you refine it and hone it over time. We've been talking a lot about values because we're working on a project that really digs into core values and how that helps us achieve our goals and accomplish our goals. And I've been thinking a lot about it because often we imagine values as this fuzzy feeling, like a war, like you said, a compass. It's it's not quite a tangible. And values and activities aren't always attached. But what I've learned through this process is that your values show up in the habits that you live every day. They show up in the way you communicate. They show up in tangible activities. That's how your your values come to life. So Jeff, how as a leader in an organization, how do you start to craft activities that reflect those values in a way that's meaningful and that can make an impact? Well, I think first you have to get clarity on what your values are. And what she's alluding to, we're, we're going to be coming out with a core values deck. This is something that we have um, tested at our couples goal setting retreat in person a few times. And it has been life-changing for people to really get clear on what are your top three values that really guide your decisions um, has been very meaningful. For example, there is a person on our team who's n- one of her top values is security. As a leader, that's really important to know because the types of conversations, um, what her role is, making sure that she feels secure in what she does is very, very important. I happen to know for myself that my number one value is growth. I need to, and for Jay to understand that we have to make sure that whatever is falling on my plate. I'm experiencing growth. I'm constantly being challenged to learn more. It's massively important to understand these things. So I think part of this is is sitting down and again, you're noticing a theme here, sitting down and thinking. (laughs) Not just running, but actually asking questions and searching for the answers on what your core values are. And you know, we're excited that by the end of this year, we will actually launch this deck that will guide you on how to gain clarity on your core values. I was trying to be mysterious, Jeff, and you blow the surprises. <laughs> Tell me the softball. You know I'm always... <laughs> uh, it, it's exciting because I think this project in particular, what we've learned is that when people are like looking far into someday and they're getting clarity on those someday goals, whether you are an individual, a couple, a team, or an organization, the way your values shape how you get there is so critical, but we don't always take into account the weight of those values. Mm-hmm. We sort of try to bulldoze through them or just get there faster. Or there's so many things that we sometimes overlook. And when you have clarity on the values, it really does shape your path. It shapes how you get there together. Uh, like, like you said, Jeff, like knowing your values versus uh, the rest of our team and how those values actually can work in chorus to get somewhere faster or even better or whatever that is. It's just such a a really fun journey to go on and it makes it richer. The experience of getting there is even more rich. We live in a world full of choices and distractions. The problem with that is it can be really tricky to decide what matters most. And if you aren't clear on what makes you tick or what's driving you forward, 
it's very hard to prioritize and achieve extraordinary results, which is why this matters. I'm sure those of you listening are hearing about this values deck and you're wondering, where can I get one? We've prototyped it and worked with all sorts of people at our live events that we did in the past. And this new deck, new and improved, that's really come to life with your feedback. It will be available soon, but not yet. Uh, you can actually get on the waitlist to order it by visiting theonething.com slash core values. That, that's C-O-R-E-V-A-L-U-E-S. And we'll let you know when we've got things going. Jeff already spilled the beans, but it's going to be a really cool tool. It's, it's already been a cool tool for people to discover their purpose through their values and start to live it in a new way. Jeff, fly up to 10,000 feet. And we've talked a lot about the granular details of the decisions that people will have to make. But zoom out and give a bigger picture of what happens next. I'm going to go back to what we learned from Keith Cunningham. What stops us from reinventing ourselves is an attachment to the way things used to be. Give yourself permission to be willing to let go of the way you used to do things and actually look forward and ask, okay, why am I doing what I'm doing to begin with? Why does our company exist? What, 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 what are we really doing here? And what is the company that we want to build? If I had to imagine the ideal culture, what would it look like? Do we need to all be in person? Can we all be virtual? Should it be a hybrid of the two? And regardless of what your answer is, understand that Talented people want to be successful. They want to win. And the only way you win is if you are clear on the rules of the game, how you win. You need clarity on what the priorities are. So this is an opportunity to reinvent what you will look like moving forward as a professional and as an organization. How might you be as clear as possible on what the priorities are for the organization, the team, and the individual? How will you ensure a clear model for communication? How do you get a hold of people? How do you communicate? How do you say yes to things? How do you say no to things? How will you build trust along the way? And how will you ensure accountability along the way? Because the truth is, top performers, they want to be coached. They want to be pushed. They want to achieve more. How will you do those things? And this has just been, like Kaylin said, like the gift that we have been given is it was handed to us on a silver platter. Gary already figured this out. It was the principles he used to scale Keller Williams into the largest real estate company in the world. The reason that the one thing is one of the highest rated business books of all time is because they're surprisingly simple truths that lead to extraordinary results and they're agnostic of industry. And Kaylin, I remember when you said the one thing is the ultimate language of respect. When I can acknowledge that you have a one thing, I have a one thing, and they might be different, that is a foundation of respect versus what we see in a lot of companies, which is people assuming that just because you ask if you got a minute, that people have to say yes. Or assuming that just because you invite them to a meeting that they should say yes and move everything else. That is actually a foundation of disrespect. If you're listening to this and you're saying, you know what, I would love to make this part of my culture, we would love to engage with you and have a conversation and walk you through what it could look like. You start by going to the one thing.com slash training. That's with the number one in the URL. So the number one 
thing.com slash training and under the corporate section, just enter your information and we can line up a call. From a high level, what it looks like when we bring this into a company is it starts by identifying leaders that we can do a train the trainer approach and actually certify them. So you have internal experts that can drive the adoption of the models and the principles. And they work directly with us so that they have a very clear strategic plan that they implement and we advise them over a period of time. We then make sure that every single person in the program gets access to ongoing reinforcement over the course of the year so that it stays top of mind and they get the support they need. And then workshops get facilitated to introduce the principles, to build momentum and make sure that the program is successful. That's how we do it. So again, we would love to guide you if this is something that you think might be a fit for your organization Go to the one thing.com slash training and we can line up a time to chat. What I sincerely hope is that you recognize that you have a choice that you get to make. Will you live a life by default or a life by design? While it's unfortunate that it's taken a global pandemic to really challenge us to ask different questions, the opportunity lays before us nonetheless. Get in the driver's seat cast that vision and start taking action. If this episode has brought value to you, who is someone that you think would get value from listening to this? And would you be willing to be the type of person who shares it with them because you can make a massive impact for them and they would have you to thank for it. And for those of you, if you are not yet subscribed to the show, we release a new episode every single week. And the fastest way to make sure that you don't miss out and you get each episode is to click the subscribe button. And while you're at it, if, if, if this one specifically left a mark for you, consider leaving us a rating and review on your podcast player choice. It genuinely helps us reach more people and fulfill our purpose, which is to help people better invest their time so they can achieve extraordinary results. I'm your host, Jeff Woods. And we look forward to being with you in the next episode.